thank you for them. We thank you for how you're working in their lives. Lord, we ask that you would encourage them, give them wisdom and direction, Lord, as they take new steps in new directions. I thought we want to lift up Kerwin and Pastor Eric in Liberia. We thank you, Father, for the good results, Lord, for the good numbers, Lord, uh, out for the pastor's conference. Father, we pray for, for both Eric and for Kerwin, Lord, for strength. Father, we ask that as they're struggling with, with um, becoming sick, Lord, give them strength, um, bring healing to their bodies, encourage them. Father, for this time, we just uh, we come, we ask God that your spirit will work through your word. Father, that our hearts might be open to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Brian Heist was a college graduate getting ready to finish up school. And actually on the day of his graduation, he woke up to a solid drip, drip, drip. He called the manager of his unit, and unit said, and the uh, unit manager said, go pick up a wet dry vac. Well, he rushed to the garage and remembered that he'd left the keys in the car. The car was stolen. But thankfully, because he was a college student, there wasn't much gas, so he didn't get far. A tow truck was called. And, and, and Brian realized, I have no money. He had someone rush to his house, went inside, the money was soaking wet, but so was the floor. Brian slipped, had to be taken to the hospital. After two or three hours, thankfully, he was able to attend his graduation service. But, he was a cadet in the ROTC, and one of his fellow cadet men left their gun and bayonet in his chair. He didn't see it. He sat down and hurt his backside. He had to go to the hospital again. His response afterwards was, I think someone's trying to kill me. Even though those things were bad, they don't compare sometimes to the, the struggles and the tragedies that we go through in life. And in the midst of it, we so much need to know God. Sometimes our tragedies are far worse, and his was one day, but sometimes ours goes, go on for months, and sometimes for years. In the midst of it, God seems distant. It seems he doesn't listen. Over and over we grasp at straws. God seems silent. Pain and loss cry out loud and long. Sorrow and confusion are overwhelming. Sometimes it's hard to remember anything. Sometimes it's hard to express what we're going through. Well, today as we continue the series on Don't Waste Your Life, we will consider Don't Waste Your Suffering. Don't Waste Your Suffering. I've titled the sermon, Good Grief. Good Grief, or Good Grief. Well, hopefully it'll be Good Grief. Today I want us to look at the fact that 
before we go through adversity, we need to remember who God is, His character, His attributes. Secondly, we need to know that in the midst of struggles, that God is working in our lives. And thirdly, we need to know the benefits of what God does through suffering. The psalmist David in Psalm 13 says, How long, O Lord, how long? Will you forgive me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk said, O Lord, how long will I cry for help and you will not hear? The Apostle Paul actually writes the book of 2 Corinthians defending his apostleship. The Judaizers, false teachers, were saying in his church, churches that Paul didn't qualify as an apostle because of his suffering. There's that mindset of arrogance, that mindset of uh, pride, emphasis on individualism, that focus on the externals. And if you remember looking back in First Corinthians, uh, the whole thing of the show your gifts were lifted up. Materialism was there, and it's how you looked as opposed to who you were in Christ. And this kind of thinking perverts understanding the Christian life. And there are those today within, within the church in the United States who say that good health and easy living and wealth are part of what every Christian should have, if we have that faith. Success is measured by how many members a church has. And their paradigm for church was that it was impressive to the world's eyes. That it projected sophistication, power, wealth, knowledge. Paul was disturbed by this. Paul's predictions were his suffering, his humility, his self-sacrifice, his humility, and integrity. Today, as we look around, we can find that mindset of, if you just increase your faith, You'll have it. Well, Paul's life was far from a life of wealth, of good health, and ease. Let me just read a couple of different passages throughout 2 Corinthians. We, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Chapter 11, 24 through 28. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the sea, danger in the wilderness. He goes on and talks about being hungry and thirsty, without food, and cold, and exposure. And he says, on top of all that, I have this pressure, this anxiety of the churches. So we're sitting in the life of Paul, probably one of the most brilliant men to ever live, the most um, loyal, faithful servant of God, suffered. And he missed again of our 
struggling and look at our lives we need to know who God is I don't know what each of you are going through but I know that because of life we all struggle think what is the most painful adversity you've had in your life how, how did you handle it how many changed by it today it could be joblessness maybe a personal illness maybe extended illness of family or parents maybe it's a divorce maybe it's struggling with school but whatever it might be we need to know who God is as we go through struggles and trials just in the last few months we've seen the tsunami in Japan probably hundreds of thousands killed devastation there in the southeast U.S., we've seen all the tornadoes that killed hundreds in devastated areas. And Mike mentioned this morning the loss, the sudden loss of a son, about some, some friends. We never know. We never know what we're going to face. But we need to know God and who He is before we go through it. There's no formula. There's no, if I just believe this, or if I just do that, or if I just remember this, there isn't a formula. Well, Paul faced much suffering, but he never saw God as an enemy. Rather, in 2 Corinthians, he opens the letter with praise for who God is. He praises him for his mercy and for his grace. 2 Corinthians, do you will turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 through 5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort we see here a description of who God is first of all it says God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, well who is God? I, I read a book some years ago, probably 20 years ago entitled Trusting God When Life Hurts by Jerry Bridges. Great book. I've gone back to it many times. And over and over through his book, he talks about knowing God before the adversity. He talks about God being sovereign. He uses passages like Isaiah 46.10 I make known the end from the beginning and from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. And secondly, God is infinite in wisdom. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. And third, God is perfect in his love. We're all familiar with Romans 8.35-40, where it talks about who can separate mean from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness of course the answer is nothing can no one can throughout this book he just goes over and over remember remember that God is God that he's sovereign remember he's all wise remember his love is perfect we need to know who God is Secondly, if you think about God, 
we remember that in his perfect love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, as Nathan mentioned earlier. And Paul says in, in verse 3, says that he is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that he sent his only son in the world, that we might live through him. If we remember that God allowed his son to die for our sins, with a better remembrance of who he is. Well, thirdly, we see in verse 3 also that, that Paul says that God is a God of mercies. With the Jewish people, the phrase father of means originator of. And Satan was the, the father of lies because it originated with him. A guy, Jubal, in Genesis, was the one who started uh, string instruments and pipes so he was a father of, of uh, musical instruments and God is a father of mercies because of all the mercy that we have begins with him finally fourth we see God is a God of all comfort and quickly I want to say comfort here doesn't mean sympathy too often when we think about comfort we think about luxury we think about a nice soft bed a cushy chair Maybe a good meal. No work to be done. This is not what this passage says. This is not what this word means. It's not talking about a life of ease. It's a synonym for courage and for bravery and for strength. It's saying that God in the midst of struggles will give us strength and courage. Our English word for comfort comes from two Latin words meaning with strength. And the Greek word here means to come alongside, to come alongside and help. It's the very same word used of the Holy Spirit in John 14, where Christ says, I'm leaving, but I'll, but I'll send you a comforter. So God says, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of pain, in the midst of everything going on, that God is the God of all comfort. We need to know who God is. Secondly, we need to know what God does in the midst of trials. Sometimes we go through trials because of our sin or rebellion. Sometimes we go through trials so others can see Christ in us. Sometimes we suffer so we won't sin. I think of Paul, in chapter 12 of this book, where it says that his, he was given a thorn in the flesh so he wouldn't be prideful. Johnny Erickson Tata says, there will be times when our hearts will be broken. His plan, God's plan, is specific. Some of us will suffer more than others. This can, this can discourage us because we don't see what God's doing in the lives of those who are hurting. But in it all, she says, in, this, in God's sovereignty, in his perfect love, in his wisdom, every trial for every believer is ordained from eternity past and custom made for that believer, even when it doesn't seem like it. Nothing happens by accident, not even tragedy, not even when sins are committed against us. 
If we go to the book of Job, first chapter says that Job was a blameless and upright man, a man that turned away from evil. And yet, as he and uh, yet as uh, Satan and, and God had a conversation, God allowed Satan to afflict Job. In the midst of it, his wife said, curse God and die. His response was, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. So first, we will face trials. We will face struggles. But secondly, I want to know that God's in control. God's in control. If you remember first this conversation between Satan and God, God says, first, you may afflict him, but don't touch his body. If you remember... There was the, the killing of all the livestock. There was the, the death of the children. And of course, along the way, as God and, and, and Satan interacted, God allowed Satan to do certain things. But there's a point where he couldn't. God is in control of our trials. Thirdly, God enables us to go through trials. God enables us to go through trials. Second Corinthians 4, 7-9 says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Well, God allows trials to come our way. He's in control of them. He gives us strength to go through them. Christina was one of 20 siblings born into a family, a wealthy family in the Manchu uh, dynasty uh, in China. She had great education. She had personal servants. She had a palace to enjoy. But even though her father was a Buddhist, he decided to send her to a Christian school run by American missionaries. Before she left, he says, do not eat their religion. In other words, don't convert. Don't change over. But once Christina was in the school, she heard the gospel she believed, and word got back to her family. Immediately they sent a servant. And as he took her from the school and put her on a boat, he handed to her a knife in one hand and said to her, Either reject your new faith or take your life. The other hand, he had a rope and said, or hang yourself, or drown yourself in the water. But Christina refused to do that. She returned home. She was threatened. She was punished. She was rejected. She was ridiculed. She was put down, even, even by the household servants. But yet in the midst of it, she chose not to argue. She prayed. She asked God to give her grace. One day, one brother, the one who had thrown away her Bible, the one who had torn up her hymn book, came to her and said, Tell me about Christianity. 
became a Christian. And when she told him, he said, that is a marvelous experience. I think I want to believe. As a result, 55 relatives came to Christ. 55 came to Christ simply because she allowed God's grace in the midst of being threatened, being punished, being rejected, being ridiculed. In the midst of suffering, we often don't know what God is doing. I'm sure that Christina had questions. Am I doing the right thing? If my family, the ones I love, are doing all this to me? Yet, in God's grace, she held on. Well, first, as we, trace, as we face trials, we need to remember who God is. His character, His integrity. And secondly, we need to remember that God allows trials in our lives. He sets limits. He gives us grace to go through them. Third, we remember what God accomplishes through trials. There are benefits, believe it or not. There are benefits to going through trials, going through pain, going through rejection, going through hurt. God has never asked me, I don't think he's asked any of you, when you want to grow, or how you would like to grow, or even if you want to grow. God has a purpose and plan for our lives. And he puts it in place. And every adversity that comes our way, whether it's large or small, God uses to help us grow. In verse 6, though, is key here. It says, when you patiently endure the suffering. Christina endured the suffering as her, as her family put her down. If she rebelled, if she become bitter, her family may not have come to Christ. We don't automatically grow through adversity. Adversity can cause us, can cause us to grow in our faith, or adversity can cause us to grow bitter and cynical, hard-boiled, brutal, and not very vulnerable. I like what Jerry Bridges in his book said about adversity. You, we can submit to adversity, not reluctantly, as the defeated general does to his conqueror, but as a patient, as a patient who submits to the skilled hands of a surgeon. Think about it. As we go in for surgery, we go in because we want what is going to be done. We want the surgery. And so we trust the doctors. If we're to grow through adversity, we must allow God to use his knife to cut and remove the things in our lives. Well, there's so many benefits from, from suffering, but I'll just name a few. In verse 4, it says that we're able to identify with, with others in their trials. Verse 4 says, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we're able to comfort those who are in affliction. God says that when you go through, if you allow me to work in your life, I'll give you ministry. I'll give you service. Secondly, no one can identify with those who are hurting. We can identify with Jesus Christ's sufferings, even though it's a drop in the bucket compared. But suffering reminds us 
that Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. And I was listening to Nathan's morning as read from Isaiah 53 about what Christ went through for us. Thirdly, as we go through suffering, our hope in God is strengthened. Our hope in God is strengthened. In other words, we build perseverance, we build endurance. As um, first, Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, He delivered us from a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. And on Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Paul says, He's delivered us in the past. We set our hope on Him that He will, in the future, set us free. Fourth, it's not here in the passage, but I want to mention it. God teaches us obedience and holiness. Makes us holy through it. Hebrews 12 talks about the fact that we're not to, to regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. Psalm 119 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. The fifth benefit of suffering is we learn to look to God alone. We learn to look to God alone and realize that He is our only resource. He's our only resource. Verses 8 and 9 says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life. Indeed, we thought that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. God himself calls you and me into deep waters of trials. He sets a limit on our sorrows. God is actually with us bringing us through it, bringing good as we trust Him. God changes us to become more Christ-like when we patiently endure that suffering. Well, Kieran O'Connor often thought about, dreamed about Kathy. Kathy was a woman who her ex-husband left her for and eventually married. Kathy could see women with just a slight resemblance to Kathy and her stomach turned. Weeks, months, years passed. She wondered she'd ever be free of this woman who had pursued her husband, Jack. Her resentment, her guilt, her anger just drained her. She went to counseling. She attended self-help workshops. She enrolled in, in uh, seminars. She read books. She talked with anybody that would listen to her. She ran. She walked. She drove hundreds of miles. She screamed. She prayed. She blamed herself. She did everything except surrender to God. She hated that man. The man she had loved for over 20 years. The father of her children her ex-husband. One week, a church in the area advertised a workshop 
a seminar on the healing power of forgiveness. And Karen felt drawn to the event, and they asked each of the participants to think of who they had not forgiven. Of course, Karen immediately thought about Kathy. And then they asked them, the participants, to forgive the person. Karen's immediate thoughts were, no. No. She's hurt me too much. She's hurt my kids. No way. I, I cannot forgive her. But then she sensed that gentle voice that we've all heard, that gentle voice of the Spirit of God saying to her, Karen, are you ready? Are you ready? To release her? Karen writes, for the first time since my husband left, I was ready to let go. I couldn't hold on any longer. It was killing me. In that moment, at that moment, without doing anything else, an incredible shift occurred in her life. She simply let go. She simply let go and forgave. And she said, I gave control of my life to the Lord. I gave control of Jack. I gave control of Kathy to God. I was free of rage and resentment. And she writes that in her self-righteousness, as she looked back, it had cost her her health. It cost her spontaneity, vitality, a sense of closeness to God. She slept well that night. And she goes on and says, If it had been up to me alone, I don't think I could have done it. I couldn't have been that generous. I couldn't have done it. But she says, But it wasn't up to me. There was no mistaking the power of the Holy Spirit within me. Well, Karen wrote a note to Kathy forgiving her. A couple of days later, she got a call. And Kathy apologized, asked for forgiveness, and went on through the, the whole process. And as Karen hung up the phone after talking with Kathy, she said, It was good to hear the words of the apology. She said, But more than anything else, it was good to know what God was teaching me. The whole trauma of divorce had helped her to see that God was her source. God was her strength. It's all about perspective as we go through trials. I believe, I believe it was Mark Dever said that like Joseph, we'll find ourselves in a pit. We're going to find ourselves in a pit. And he says a pessimist will say, it's bad in the pit. The optimist, optimist will say, eh, it's not so bad in the pit. A realist will say, now that's a pit. IRS, IRS agent will say, hmm, can we tax this pit? A new agent will say, just imagine there is no pit. A Calvinist will say, you are predestined for the pit. Now, many of them will say, you weren't predestined for the pit. 
But you find yourself in one. In the health and wealth, people will say, you can faith your way out of the pit. We all face struggles. Many godly men throughout God's word. Moses was crushed and disheartened. Jeremiah regretted the day he was born. Jonah asked God to take his life. Elijah asked God if he could die. All of this, though, is to say we need to have the right perspective. We know who God is. That he is loving, all-wise, a God of comfort and mercy. We know that we will face trials. We will, and God uses them to build us up in faith. And thirdly, there's so many benefits that we go through. But we have to have the right perspective. Trusting Him, looking to Him, knowing that through the pain, that we can lean on Him. Well, let's pray.